Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to keep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome to the movie show. Welcome, welcome to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. I'm going to really hit the and today. Joel and Ryan. And I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And, and we're so happy. The and is definitely the coolest part of the logo. So I'd like. The and is the, definitely the coolest part of the logo. Yeah. That's going to, you know, like when we start selling swag, when we start having t shirts available, that's, it's just going to be the big <clears throat> film and, um, and, pe- and people will just know. You'll be able to see people on the street and you'll go, ah, you're one of the few who listen to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. One of the proud. Or they're going to go, or they're going to go, oh, you must be one of the hosts. Because <laughs> <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be wearing them. Uh, I'm so happy that you're joining us today. Um, we're going original recipe uh, movie show with Joel and Ryan today. It's just the two of us. It's so lonely in here. It is. Where did everybody um, go? It was a big party last week, and now it's just last, no one here. It's just you was, and me. Yeah, it was a good time uh, sitting in the hotel. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot T- talking about phantom technical difficulties that only half of us yeah. were noticing. Yep, yep. My feed. You know, here's the thing: is my feed was great because I got to hear everything that which you is, know, I, which is all of everything I was saying was captured, <laughs> which um, was and luckily. Sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was, I was going to say, luckily, um, most of the time when the internet decided to glitch was indeed when I was talking. Oh. Um, and so there was only like two times where I had to edit in the backup feed in on one part where you're talking and I think the other part where Michael was talking. Um, not and too, luckily, we not just too did bad under talk. the circumstances. Yeah. I mean, we pushed through and, yeah. you know, it's not perfect, but people don't. Don't, they don't show up for our awesome technical acumen. <laughs> that's true. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of technical acumen, that's where we're gonna that's where we're gonna go today. On the main the main part of our show is gonna be a little behind the scenes production meeting of uh, you know like if it what for like like this is what's gonna happen when they make the movie show with Joel and Ryan the movie. Um, this is wow. We'll just we'll just have those <laughs> chairs with our names on them, and we'll just get to hang out pretty much most of the time, because mm-hmm. the union is going to step in and make everybody else do all the stuff we have to do every week. Yep, and, uh, and that's as it should be, and, man, for sure. And I'll watch I'll watch whoever is cast as me, and just go, hey, they're better me than me. Well, that's right. I we won't be even be in me. it. We'll just be executive yeah. producers. Yeah. And just go, that's not really how it happened, but that's better than how it happened. So let's do, go with that. We can do interviews years later. I'll be like, you know, Jonah did a really good job, but he's not really much like me. And... <laughs> 
Well, yeah, because well, that's to, with you have to let go. Jonah. You know, it's Hollywood. It takes a lot to make a movie. Blah blah blah. All the you'll have to stuff. do all the press. You'll have to do all the press now uh, for it because Jonah Jonah Hill isn't doing uh, any press for his movies anymore. So, nor um, should he. Yeah. Well, um, I'm not a big fan of Jonah Hill, but it, nor should he. That is a that is there's a lot to that i mean i just know how i feel i have to go out in public later today and it's it's i'm it's it's exciting but it's also just horrible and you obsess over it and i really do understand social anxiety very intimately and it's i can't even imagine what it would be like to just you know Mm -hmm. to be always on like that this this show's a gift because we do even though we're putting on a show and it is slightly different than when we're just talking, we have to admit it's still, we get to just be us. It's that's nice. I mean, that's yeah. a gift, isn't it? That you just get to kind of be yourself. Of course, then when people Absolutely. disagree with you or hate you, then it hurts all that much more, Joel. Indeed. Indeed. Um, luckily, um, most everybody loves us. That's a relief. Yeah. Yeah, that's the benefit of keeping so few listeners in a very mm-hmm. small sphere, is that they mostly it's, just love you. It's it's why we do the show the way we do the show is to weed out the people who can't handle it, don't want don't want two hours of insightful discussion of two guys who uh, who really don't have much else going on in their lives. Let's see, we got, we're in a different mindset than we were the last time we tackled some of this, but where we were really crabby, but, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, (laughs) but we're, we got a few sensitive subjects on the docket this week, so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. And, and, and boy, this is a different kind of show that we're very, that I I don't, I can't speak for Joel, but I'm very scared about. So we'll see how it goes. (laughs) We should probably well, get going. I'm not, I'm not necessarily scared, but well, I mean, speaking of different kind of show, we want to tease another different kind of show that we're that we're in the that's we're working <laughs> on, and it's going to be a musical base. It's going to be a music based show, which is a departure from us. Yeah. But we, uh, Ryan, is that Ryan had this idea um, uh, several months ago. I mean, it's been a while that it's been it's, sitting here on the. Well, uh, it's when I realized seat. that I had 120 songs of this dude in my iPod. <laughs> So. That's what made me go, man, if we could stick to a minute per song, we could do a podcast about it. That was literally my first thought was podcast oriented. So mm-hmm. I might be low on ideas lately, but Joel, I'm always thinking about the podcast, man. So it's just stay off it, my back. It has become ubiquitous, uh, an ever present um, part of our of both of our lives. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's going to be coming up. We're going to do 120 minutes, so we're going to do a two hour show, and we're going to we're going to demand. Well, it'll probably end up being, uh, you know, two hours and two minutes because of my, you'll have you know, to play the intro. intro, and yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You'll have to and remind them, and then we'll jump Twitter to it. But handle and everything. But we are going to challenge ourselves and we're going to have the stopwatch right there. And once it get once one minute is done, we are moving on to the next song. And um, it, yeah, and I think actually there's going to be some songs where talking about them for a minute is going to maybe be the most those songs have ever been talked about. Yes. So, and then for others, it's going to be the least that they've ever been talked about. Yeah. So it's going to be a mixed bag. But 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 yeah. 120 minutes of 120 songs 
Uh, we'll 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 let you know the artist uh, as we get a little closer. We've already mentioned this once in the past, so for the discerning oh, listener, you you might know what we're talking about, but we're gonna tease it a little bit and probably roll yeah, but, it out in November sometime ish like that. Yeah, but we wanted to give y'all a heads up because that will be a different show and it'll be a silly show and um it'll be soon but it'll have a lot of really cool (laughs) songs in it a bunch of which out of 120 you'd be surprised how many you know i would guess oh yeah you know yeah i think you know you think of a few with all sort of music artists but i think you you forget about a lot of them and you know this particular person had three ish albums where more than half the albums themselves were were hit singles and that's whatever else we want we end up saying about him and or <laughs> or or you, the people out there think about him that is that uh connecting with the world like that with music is no small accomplishment that's a pretty amazing thing actually so right right um all right let's hit up uh, we have a couple a couple little news items we wanted to talk about so we're just going to hit a little news of the day Sith Blast, <laughs> woo! Sith Blast is back. We need. Um, why don't we have? We should have a. I mean, I, a, a news theme, shouldn't we? I guess we could. Uh, you know, it's. I mean, we could just do the the ticker tape. Uh, yeah, that's. We don't want to bring him into this if we don't have to. <laughs> that's true. that's a whole another thing. But uh, we'll yeah. find it. Maybe we'll. I have an idea already, but, but nevertheless, yeah. well, way to use Synth Blast the way it was intended to be used. That was awesome. Good. Um, all right. So we have, um, <clears throat> so uh, it's been all over the news uh, lately uh, in the last couple of days, but um, the corporate greed strikes again. And um, to uh, there was, uh, I think it was Adam Conover was talking about how, hey, remember how when um, streaming channels came out, you know, the, the promise was that, hey, we're going to have all sorts of, you know, you're going to be able to see all of the stuff, all of the stuff that that you can't you've never, you know, you haven't been able to see in forever. It's been locked behind, you know, in, in vaults. We're going to be able to see all of that now because because of the different streaming platforms and stuff that we're going to have. Well, we, you know, um, now we have Discovery and HBO, uh, which the Warner uh, Warner Media merger, um, HBO, they're they're yanking hundreds of titles hundreds of uh, of different so far, shows only about a hundred but you you definitely get the feeling that more and more are going to be yanked and mm-hmm. more to the point we've had a crest in streaming content and every mm-hmm. single thing that's held on a server that's not being watched by people they're uh what's happening with discovery because it's the discovery warner merge is interesting because it's a it's a it's a pretty small but very profitable company merging with a giant media conglomerate and it's the small profitable company that's that's in charge now um and that's not usually how it goes usually it's the thing with the most money in this case it's a thing with that's lean and mean that's bringing that mentality to something that's huge, bloated, and owes billions of dollars. Yeah. But, you know, you look throughout history, and especially even just recent streaming history, and HBO, Max, and Warner Brothers are 
It's a, that's a Goliath. And not to mention the publishing, the record company, Time Magazine. It's it's a huge thing. Even though not a lot of people buy Time Magazine anymore, the way everyone used to, it's still you still have that whole entire history of journalism and everything that all the photos and stuff going back. It's it's just a big big deal. Whoever controls yeah. the Warner Brothers empire controls a great many things, and we've already lost Fox, 20th Century Fox, which you know was owned by it's the, the sorry if I'm but the rather evil News Corp for years and years and years. But it was still an independently operating studio, and it isn't anymore. You still see the logo from time to time, but that. That studio is gone, and all you it is is just an occasional shingle for some IP that came with it. That's all it is anymore. It, yeah, we got a new Predator movie that's pretty good out of it. I mean, that's not nothing, but it's so comparatively nothing compared to what the Fox Searchlight and 20th Century Fox was doing before. That's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the interesting thing about Discovery, the people who brought you Shark Week and all kinds of just piles of worthless crap, yep, um, is that they want these things to go back to being what they were. They don't, which is interesting. That's an interesting thing, and we'll see how it plays out. It may not be all gloom and doom. Discovery wants HBO to be a place where A-plus prestige television takes place. Right now, HBO to compete in the content wars is putting out a lot of junk. It's going to not be doing that pretty soon. It's going to leave that to Discovery, who really, let's face it, are the experts on putting out heaps and heaps of cheap junk. Um, so, you know, let's start compartmentalizing things a little bit. They want, they don't want... The biggest thing that got... Uh, we won't use the term canceled. That's a loaded term. But the biggest thing that got wiped out, wiped off the release map, was the $90 million bet. Batgirl film that mm-hmm. was meant to be a HBO Max streaming exclusive. It's all been shot and edited. It's all it is is there's some music and effects yep. work that are being done on it. It's almost done, and they put that away as a tax write off, which means you'll never see it. It'll be like that eighties eighty nine Captain America movie that exists but that no one's ever seen, or the. Right. You know, it 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 has to be that they it, there isn't some later date where they can pull this out and say, "Oh, look what it was." They, if they want, if you claim it as a loss, if you if you claim it as a loss, it can never be. It's, it can it, never get out. It's gone. So yep. that's weird because that had not a ton of famous people in it. It was a ninety million dollars is not a modest production, but for a superhero film, that's let little less than half of what the small ones cost. So it is. Mm-hmm in this weird netherworld and and discovery made the point that this wasn't going to help sell HBO Max. I mean, people would have watched it, but it it isn't going to it's going to be like a lot of streaming things are, huge streaming things. It was going to be the talk of the week maybe if it was lucky and then it was just going to sit there on a server yeah. and no one was going to watch it. So they got rid of it, which is kind of amazing. They want Warner. They, 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 and again, their thing isn't, oh, we're getting rid of DC heroes or we're making them more like Discovery. They're like, if you're going to, Warner Brothers, if you're going to put out a big superhero movie, then it should be a big superhero movie and it should be out in the theaters. They're going to greatly expand the theatrical to streaming window for Warner's projects to more like three months. 
Yeah. Um, that's not going all the way back, but that's going, that's taking a leap back from to pre COVID days anyway. Right. Um, right. but the big thing is that 96 ish of these shows and movies have been pulled from the format, likely never to be seen again. Right. Well, um, and, and I mean, and, and that's, it's, and it's, that's there. Other places are going to start doing that cost or profit well, right, loss because all of this, it's not being done. None of this is an artistic decision. I think right. that's, what's really rank rankling feathers here. Right. Uh, ruffling feathers maybe is a better is the actual phrase um, is that none of this is being done for artistic reasons like oh well we don't think that this show is you know performing or whatever this literally we're gonna fire a whole bunch of people and we're gonna yank a whole bunch of stuff so that we can claim it as law you know so that we, they can claim it as loss so that the share that they can maximize the profit for shareholders and and that and that is what really kind of sucks about about all of this I mean they're they're yanking like 300 episodes of Sesame Street that used to be available um, because they need, you know, they want to be able to claim it as loss. And um, yeah, so it's, it, it it's really, it's icky. It's icky. I mean, ultimately, yeah, we're still going to get the, the, you know, we're still going to get our Game of Thrones prequel. We're still yeah, going to get the, all, all of this, the episodes know. of the Sopranos are still going to be there yeah. for you. It's not they're like they're be, yeah. hacking and slashing all the things they're famous for, but but the the streaming model with no physical backup of any kind or no other type of ownership, and you're really going to start seeing this with music, which is really going to be sad. Yeah. Um, because artists aren't even releasing things that have any sort of shelf life. They're releasing limited pressings of vinyl that they're having to wait nine months for. And then that's it. And then they're assuming the streaming mm -hmm. platform is going to be there for them forever, but that, that it's not going to happen. And that's a lot of these lesser things or things that you might like or things that you intended to see are going to go. But drill really hits the nail on the head. It isn't really because I looked at the list to date and it, there's nothing too tragically being, you know, mm -hmm. lost yet. But it's just the beginning. They, Netflix can't have all these millions of shows out there if nobody's watching them and they're going to go away right. and there's no place else for them. So that work, whatever art is contained within it. And admittedly, we hear us talk about it all the time. There's, there's in the corporate, you know, streaming world, there's the art yep. isn't a huge concern. It, it happens anyway. We'll talk about right. 10 of the cool ways it happens anyway on today's show, but but it, here's, it's, it's here's the start the other... of something you want to keep an eye on mm -hmm. and give a little thought to. I don't think there's anything we can do about it, but. No, there isn't anything. And here, here's and here's another part of it that's that's really icky um, in the in the uh, uh, in the call, in the uh, earnings call. Um, from uh, Warner Brothers um, Discovery, the new Warner Brothers Discovery title, um, you know they they talked about how oh their their strategy now is HBO Max is going to skew more male and scripted um, and and home of fandoms, while Discovery is going to be female skewed and unscripted, and and so they're just they're like just a signing it's like what is this bullshit? And they're, you know, they, and they're looking like, and they literally like, Oh, one of the pluses that we have is, 
is our franchises like the 90 day fiance franchise, which is like that. Really? You're going to hang your hat on freaking 90 day fiance. Why wouldn't they? It's gotten discovery to the point that they were able to take over Warner brothers. I mean, they, right. They should have some sort of confidence as they go into this, but sure. And then, and then they're like, Oh, we have iconic series and characters like, Friends and Sex in the City and Big Bang Theory, which none of them have been on the air for a while, but they're going to, you know, they, they still make money because everyone just watches them anyway because of this faux nostalgia that everyone's so desperate for. Um, and, yeah. And, and then they're like, oh, the Property Brothers, they're, ar- they're iconic. Um, so, yeah, it, yeah, the property. Yeah. Well, I mean, look. I watch a lot of Discovery proper, properties. Food Network is is on. Well, it's on, literally on outside of this door in my room <laughs> right. right now because they're watching right, right, right. some Guy Fieri stuff. We we you know we love some Guy Fieri shows. We watch a lot of HGTV, House Hunters. Boy, I've learned a lot about uh, about um, interior design and real estate by watching House Hunters, um, and of course Hometown, which uh, you know Aaron and Ben Napier are like my best friends. They don't know that they're my best friends, but they're my best friends. I was um, your best friend, you bastard. Sorry, I hate to be. I hate for you to find out this way, um, but uh, <laughs> but the um, yeah. So I mean, I watch a lot of this stuff, and yeah, it's, lots, it's lots of people do. I shouldn't be such a yeah, snob about it, but it, but it but it it is it is crappy when they're like, oh no no. I mean, we're gonna have this, but it's gonna be female. You know, we're to call it to call it female skewed. To call it oh well, this is gonna be the unscripted place, and this is gonna be script. It makes it it, it, it to me. It's it. Uh, it looks like, again, it looks like business being run by people who have absolutely no idea um, of of, of yeah. who is watching their stuff. Well, they have no, they're none of this is is, is related to uh, concerns over art whatsoever. Right. It's all corporate demographics. It's the same way people sell laundry detergent, and it's it's that is disturbing. But that's uh, how it's been for a while. It has that um, is how it's d- been discovery, for a Discovery, so. I think, just the nature of what they are really, really puts that into focus here. But that's how all of these companies have been for a while. They're all giant corporate conglomerates, and the only thing they care about. And this is really an important thing to understand. We've said it before. I don't mean to be too preachy, but they they all um they all really only care about the how they're trading on the stock exchange the the profit loss is definitely a big part of this but the general profit loss for films they can have a very profitable film like Batman versus Superman and if the perception is that it's terrible their stock gets hurt and that's yeah. that's where the rubber doesn't meet the road. That's where the psychoness of the of the mm-hmm. economy just does its own thing for no reason. It just reflects emotional panic instead of sound. You know, right. it's the reason. It's the reason why over the last thirty years or so we know the budgets of these films. We never used to know how. You know, it never used to. No one cared that. Oh, this is this movie costs a hundred million dollars to make. No one cared, but now suddenly we know the budgets of these films going in and what they gross opening weekend suddenly is is news. And it also is 
an indicator, maybe the prime indicator of good. Yeah. Is it good? Did it make a lot of money? A lot of money equals good. And, and, and it's because of these things translating into how their little ticker is going up, uh, you know, on the, not on the ticker team and trend tracker. That's a different, that's a different, that's different. Let's not stock. get into that's that. a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, anyway, um, it's food for thought. Anyway, we're not exactly making news on the show, but it, it's stuff that we've hinted at here. You're kind of seeing it in action. This isn't too tragic yet, but you, you, if you've been holding out yeah. on something that somebody told you to watch, you know, maybe now is a good time to sneak it in there and get it done. Um, mm -hmm. If you've been thinking of selling those giant box sets of 24 that you have in your basement. My, if you, yeah. If you really yeah, like yeah. 24, maybe you want to hang on to those a little longer if they're, if they're not getting too in the way. I, I understand mm -hmm. Some of those DVD box sets we bought, man, they take up a lot They're, of right. You know, you you still have a giant. I don't have many of them, but I I deliberately don't buy the great big ones. Right. I could have. I would. Um, I liked Lost true. enough, for example, to spend about a hundred bucks on it to have it all. But it comes in this big gangly thing. It's probably shaped like an island and has a palm tree <laughs> in it that you have to water and yeah. all this shit. And, you... and it's just like I can't. You know. If you don't, if you don't watch it every uh, every fourteen minutes, it'll it, it'll explode, <laughs> or whatever that is. Can't exactly. remember that. <laughs> um, uh, the other big the other big news that uh, has kind of come out. Well, we think it's big news. Uh, kind of. Yeah, I do. I really do think it's it's this, old this is news, big news. Come again, but I really think it's a big deal. Yeah, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, our has favorite apologized. people, this past year. Yeah, they, um, they have uh, publicly come out and apologized to Sashin Littlefeather. And if you don't know who Sashin Littlefeather is, let's give a little history uh, um, on her. When Marlon Brando won his Academy Award for The Godfather, um, he was not there. He did not get up and accept it. And instead, uh, this young woman, um, young uh, Native American woman, came up in, in Native American dress and um refused the oscar um and i'm just gonna play her speech it's not long what I'm did they call that it. on the ricky lake show she gave the oscar the hand or whatever yeah she gave him the hand <laughs> which as i was telling ryan uh, i i love it because the um and it, it, it would be lost on a podcast here but uh uh she gives up like the godfather music is playing in the background and she walks up and roger moore tries to hand her the oscar and she gives him the hand and just with the godfather music playing behind it it heightens the drama it of does it yeah man. and um, it was it was dramatic we have it here and we're going to play it for you so you we don't you don't have to only go on our descriptions yeah. but uh, uh she gave the oscar the hand but Listen to what she's saying. You're going to hear some weird reactions, but li just listen to the substance of what she's saying. Because she, mm -hmm. this, just listen to the substance. Just as you're listening to this, we made a joke about this for years. You know, Dennis Miller, what did he say? He said, oh, like, like that, like that hooker dressed as an Indian that Marlon Brando sent to the Oscars. That was a running joke of his mm -hmm. that got a lot of laughs from me included because I, this, this, because there's a surreal aspect to this event. Mm -hmm. But okay, there's a go. person at the heart of this. And we're going to talk about that after we play the speech. Okay. Here's your speech. My name is Sashin Littlefeather. 
I'm Apache, and I'm president of the National Native American Affirmative Image Committee. I'm representing Marlon Brando this evening, and he has asked me to tell you in a very long speech, which I cannot share with you presently because of time, but I will be glad to share with the press afterwards that he very regretfully cannot accept this very generous award. And the reasons for this being are the treatment of American Indians today by the film industry, excuse me, and on television in movie reruns, and also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I beg at this time that I have not intruded upon this evening and that we will, in the future, our hearts and our understandings will meet with love and generosity. Thank you on behalf of Marlon Brando. There's some booze there, but actually that doesn't seem really very crazy, does it? No, no. And every lit literally everything she said, uh, no lies detected. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> correct. And, and, and more than that, I think you see that in the moment, the majority of the people were s supportive of that short little speech. It's the shortest, best actor acceptance speech you will ever hear. It, mm -hmm. It's like... She just became this big punchline in this joke, and uh, she was a big controversy at the day. The rumor, the legend, and this really has to be legend. I don't really buy this completely, but the legend was that John Wayne was backstage and had to be physically restrained from going out there and pulling her off stage. She was, right after that, escorted out. She was not part of the press mm -hmm. thing. She was escorted out. By security, this is the part that the Academy is now apologizing for, not sticking up for her, but more than that, treating her like some vagrant who just wandered into this thing that they didn't know about somehow. I mean, they knew why she was there. Mm -hmm. I mean, something like the Oscar ceremony has all been planned out in advance, you know. Um, I um, believe so that according John... To Sashin, according to Sashin Littlefeather, she did say... Um... She she confirms or where she said that, you know, John Wayne was indeed um, he came forth in a rage to physically assault and take me off the stage and he had to be restrained by six security men. So, like, he wanted to come out and drag her off the stage. It sounds like the John it. Wayne we know from the movies. It just it's that six. Yeah, it's so weird and specific. Maybe it's true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I have a hard yeah. time believing that because John Wayne, while I, he would have said some really nasty things about this, we know that because we have his own words. Usually when he's asked to, to do something really bad on behalf of America, and he was many, many times, he kind of refused to do it even if he agreed with it in principle. So it seems mm -hmm. weird that he'd fly into a rage, but maybe, maybe he did. If she says so, it's hard to argue because she's been living with this for ages, you know what I mean? And it's like 50 years, yeah. Yeah, and and it and it was really rough at the time, you know. You you remember, you know, it's it doesn't take a lot of effort to bring somebody in the public sphere down these days. We have all these incredible tools that could do it. 
so very quickly and efficiently. Back then, it took an organized effort by the media, by everybody really in pop culture to label this woman and to just sort of attack her for what she did. And I think when you hear the speech, it's like, what, why? Mm-hmm. why? Well, yeah, it, it, it's because, it, it, again, it, it goes back to that, uh, that, you know, this is a, this is a moment. It, it's, it's the same criticism we have anytime any, or we have, anyone has when they bring, um, when, when movie people or entertainers, uh, deign to talk about anything other than entertainment um people want their entertainers vapid and brainless and on 90 day fiance apparently um they they don't they don't want them having opinions on on everything um and there, certainly don't want them what did certainly don't say? want them sharing them they're as what's vague that? as they can be yeah um and so yeah and, and um you know, and at this point uh, in his career, obviously Marlon Brando gave uh, zero Fs and was like, "No, I'm. This is, this is who. Th- this is what I'm doing." And I think people were like, "How dare you know?" I think that's what the booze. I don't think the booze were for her content necessarily. Maybe. Well, there were. I mean, there were some. They didn't who come were... until she started criticizing the film industry, which she did in a yeah. really, really polite way. They all sit, they really clapped did. for her and they all sat there patiently until she started doing that. And um, and it wasn't mostly booze, it was mostly applause. So, but the, the, it, there was yeah. a good portion of booze and I don't know, she's been treated like a cheap cartoon character all this time and it's yep. great that the academy is 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 uh, you know, bringing this back to our attention and trying to make amends for it. I think that's I mean just that in a bottle, I'm going to totally praise and, and say is a great yep. thing. And just her her sense of humor throughout the years about this, her willingness to talk <laughs> she had about a great, it. And, you know, she had a great line in response to it when they asked her about the uh, the Academy's apology. She's like, "We we indigenous people are very patient people. It only took 50 years." <laughs> and she's and then she said, "Look, you got to keep your humor. We that's this is how we as a people have gotten through all of the you know gotten through so many of these atrocities. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. not not this isn't necessarily an atrocity, but uh, no, but you know, gotten it, through the hardships that they've that they've had to endure right. is often with humor. So and without stealing her thunder, it it it's how people get through stuff. It's a big way you yeah. get through it. You 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 just." maintain enough perspective that you can laugh at yourself a little bit that's a the loss of that is really the the is is when you sort of take the fork in the road that goes the wrong wrong way for you personally and for everything Mm -hmm. so she she, you know she's she's a very cool person and what she was doing there it's i don't i don't know if she knew what a big deal it would be she i don't think she i don't see how she could have known right but it's that's cool. We've been hard on the academy all year, and we'll continue to be. And, and right, yeah, and rightfully so. And on the on the, um, on another note, we got a whole show here about people the academy seem determined to ignore in the future. So that's kind of neat. That's true. <laughs> there is that. So yeah. So like uh, um um like we said, we're gonna do a little behind the scenes. We're gonna look at at um the the above the line and below the line people that you see that often, um, well, that certainly, uh, especially streaming services, um, don't feel it's remotely necessary that you know who these people are because they'll just advance you to the next uh, next episode or next movie. Um, 
but we're going to look at the crew. We're going to look at everybody uh, and we're just going to kind of give a rundown because uh, as anyone who listens to the, this show knows and anyone who um, likes movies, frankly, at all, it takes hundreds upon hundreds of people to make even the smallest film um, if it's going to get released in theaters. Uh, you know, we talk about you know, oh, this is a small little film that, you know, was only made for a few hundred thousand dollars, but it still had, all, you know, it still had these elements uh, that we're going to be talking about. These, these, these groups of people that now often there's, there's overlap and there's, um, you know, some people do wearing multiple hats, but um, it's, it's still movies don't get made. You know, that's one, one of the things that I personally love about um, the performing arts and movies and plays and, and doing stage work and camera work and, and things like that is it is a collaborative art form. It is not just one person and a canvas. And this is, you know, and I'm going to do this and make, and put, make this piece of, of visual art and put it out there in order to make a movie, you have to have a whole bunch of people uh, on the same page and um and so you know we we just want to highlight some of these uh some of these people and um i don't really have a jingle for this segment but i have little mini jingles uh for for all of this and uh the the first one the first one is a quiz this is going to be a quiz for ryan Uh-oh. yep and um this one is for this first excuse me this first group of people and it's um you're you're going to need to answer the question who am I? Who am I? Yep. Uh, who uh, Who is this person, Ryan? This is the person who makes sure that from day to day, costumes look the day, way they did the day before. The that the uh, that the um, the set decoration looks the same way as it did. It's going to make sure that what happens on on day four matches um visually and tonally what will happens on day 22 does that Who include is, does that include making sure that the starbucks cups are where they were the day before as well correct gotcha. um who is that person that is the continuity person correct oh i should have a ding 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 and i don't have that maybe i have that on another page here you got synth blast uh, I have I simple as I get, no reason not to drop that out when I get something yeah, right or wrong. It works both ways. It really does. <laughs> um, so yeah, continuity. So we have this first group of people: the director, the producers, the assistant directors, the continuity scripts. Um, these are the people that uh, yeah, they're gonna be. They're the ones who, when you see people huddled around monitors, uh, looking at the looking at the dailies or watching the 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 shoots actually happen, these are those people who are who are looking at um, who are looking at the 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 moment to moment creation of the film, um, and uh, I, you know they're probably ones that you have uh, tons of familiarity with. Obviously, directors, you know about producers. Producers can be. The money people, they can also... Yeah, uh, a producer can... doesn't really... That term doesn't really tell you what uh, what they're what they're doing because they they can be yeah. very specialized. They can be do-it-all people. They can be do-almost-nothing people. It's, like a, it's a bit of a vague term. But 
just I we had that great Oscars segue, so I didn't really get an, an intro to this. But we're we, Joel and I aren't exactly qualified to teach film class here, but we thought this nope. would be fun to talk about each department and what they do. And we think we've got some knowledge that I think people probably don't consider a lot that might be interesting. And I, Joel, I a little bit, but Joel really has been on many many TV sets and film sets. And uh, that sort of thing. So he's really seen all this in action on a big union scale, you know, that I ne- haven't necessarily experienced firsthand. Um, yeah, film's a director's medium. And that's the group of people we're talking about. It starts with him. And it really starts with that person. Uh, he or she oversee everything. So it it's... it's it's not that the writing's not important, or you, it takes a village to make any of these. He's, Joel's absolutely right. It takes a mountain of people to make a big movie, and it takes quite a few more than you think to even make a little one. But, but it, but it does sort of. A, a director really is the person in m- almost all cases that's running things when the film's being captured on camera and they are most often the person who's making all the creative decisions in post-production and sometimes in pre-production as well. They, they're, Mm -hmm. that's the most powerful, cool and artistic thing to be in the movie industry. That's top of the mountain and continuity second to the last award (laughs) and continuity seems like a little thing, but it's, it's part of that same department. That's something that a director who's over, who's putting out millions of fires and making big decisions can't be bothered with those sorts of details. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it depends on the personality, but sometimes they're not even really qualified to be worried about those sorts of details. That's where continuity comes in. You mentioned a I don't know how many quizzes you have for me here. Do we have more? No, I only have one quiz per category. Per category. So you've got script supervisor who's making sure that that the script is being adhered to or that if changes are being made, that they're being noted. Um, that's a really, really important job. Uh, you all, These are all people that deal directly with the main crew and and they deal most directly, I think. We'll get into some other categories too, but that deal most directly with the big movie stars and the actors in the thing. And so it's important jobs. What other ones did we have under here? Well, we can well, get into I mean, producers, yeah, but 80s, I, no, assistant 80s, directors, gotta, oh my God. Assistant yeah. directors is the, I mean, that's to me, that's where, you know, because a director will make a decision, but it's not like the director's going to go and adjust the camera position. They're not the ones who are going to be uh, laying out the, the, the tracking for the dolly shot right. or, uh, you know, managing the crane for the, the crane shot or the drone for that. It's the ADs. It's the first AD. It's the second AD, the second, second AD, mm-hmm. um, all of the PAs. Are we, I think, I think we're going to put PAs under a, uh, um, well, they they definitely fit here primarily, but they, there's yeah. another place where we can talk a little bit about them as well. Um, yeah, because production PAs, assistant, we get, just so we say the whole word yep. once. But yeah, the 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 ads, um, they're the ones who they, like they execute. They're the executors. They they're the ones who, when a, a decision is made, it's it, it you know they're the ones like, well, we need to move this. We need to move everything three inches that way. Um, they're the ones who have to execute that. 
Or if you're uh, on a Michael Cimino show, you have the one set moved three inches that way and one set moved three inches that way. And the AD also has to fire the person who suggests they just move one of them six inches that way <laughs> uh, because that offends the director's sensibilities. Correct. It's a tough yes. job. It's a tough job. There's a it, lot of authority, but not a lot of glory and a lot of responsibility. It's it, Yeah. The assistant That's, director department is is it is it is not ones. just somebody wandering around, you know, taking care of the director's dry cleaning. It's a huge, huge job. And the bigger the movie, mm -hmm. the bigger the gig it is. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's you know, a lot of directors will have the they like to have the same team of people, you know, it's it's you know, you'll see it's 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 not unlike when you see like the same, you know, Janis Kaminsky working with um um, oh my God! Is that Spiel? no? Like, or you'll you'll see it like the same cinematographer appearing with like the same director, and it, it, it's you you'll notice the same names uh, sort of attached to because they like their crews. They they know these are the people that they know will execute their vision to you know, and they they'll they know the shorthand of what a um, of what uh, the director is talking about. Yeah. Um, all right. So next category, this is a, uh, this one is a, um, uh, what do you do? Okay, here we go. Uh, and... I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? I don't know. What do you do? I don't know. What do you do? What do you do? Seriously, what should I do? I don't know. Maybe. This one. I promise I won't play the whole thing. Uh, if if we have another, uh, what do you do? Um, I don't know. But that's pretty awesome. And it, I feel like that's shorter than the first one I heard. Oh, it's much. I mean, yeah, I, I had edited that one the last time we did a what do you do because the other one was like, yeah, I decided to make the epic disco sixteen inch version. Um, but yeah, okay. The what do you do? It's sort of a uh, th this is sort of a um, uh, how do I put this? Um, sort of a okay, wh which is which is which? So um, you have what do you do? If you are the person who's like the head of the, if you're like the chief lighting technician and head of the electric, you know, the electric department. Okay. If you are that person, what are you doing? Do mostly, you know? mostly tripping over cable and that's true. Powering everything. Uh, okay, up. let me let me let me do it this way. <laughs> are you a gaffer or a grip? If you are the head, if you are the chief lighting technician or the head of the electric, are you a gaffer or a grip? A gaffer. You are a gaffer, right? If you are. Um, the the let's see you're 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 handling the sensitive managerial operations of the construction um of of certain um uh of 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 like the complicated lighting elements if you are the tackling that that the operations on that are you a gap a gaffer or a grip i don't know grip your grip, right? Nice. Um, I only said got that one right because I said gaffer previously, and I was more. Yeah, sure I know. I, not, you know, I'm like, yeah, this. Um, I am more uh, of a gaffer than a grip. <laughs> That's why I knew that one. 
specifically, you would be the best boy grip. Ah, yes. Um, if which you I, which are I the would one, never be qualified to be. I would be third best <laughs> boy at best. If you are laying the track and performing the maintenance and helping execute the 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 complicated camera moves, are you a gaffer or a grip? A gaffer? No, I don't know. A You're a grip. You're a dolly grip. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um, if you are, you guys uh, sit through the, the credits at the end. These names are all fun things you see all the time, but you don't really know. Uh-huh. That makes sense um, that that would be a grip. It actually is yep. right in the name. So thanks. If you're handling, uh, if you're in charge of all of the generators uh, on a set that are powering everything, are you a ga- part of the gaffers or are you a part of the grips? You're you're gaffer in that case. You must you're a part of the gaffers. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So that is so we have yeah. Group number two is the cinematography, uh, the camera operators, the electrics, the gaffers, the grips. Um, these are the people who make sure that you can actually see what is being filmed. <laughs> well, and that's something if I you learn nothing new from this, and I've said this before, but I always want to get this in there. It, the when we fancy ourselves and, and we we should these days, we all have a pretty fancy high resolution camera in our pockets everywhere we go. Um if you fancy yourself a photographer, you think of largely you think of things in terms of, you know, First of all, there's seeing something worth capturing on film, and then there's capturing it, and there's taking pictures of people and thinking about framing and all that. And we all start to think, "Hey, we could do. We, we're good at this. These pictures rock, you know." But the thing that really, truly makes you a photographer, and absolutely the thing that really, truly makes you a cinematographer, is not how awesome you operate the camera or how what how what a great vision you see through the lens in terms of composition and stuff which is something that directors and others are very very involved with the thing that you are most responsible for and one of the most challenging things in a visual medium is the lighting it and it goes unsung because it's you might see the big lights when you're watching a behind the scenes movie but nobody the longest time spent on any movie project is setting up the lighting. And that's the most work that's done in terms of a time suck anyway. And really, as far as the crew goes, it's lighting the thing so that it looks the way you want. Because just doing this, we can all do that. You know, maybe some mm-hmm. are better than others, but we all don't know which quality of light or which color filter or which whatever is going to have whatever effect on what we're seeing in the room and how what we're seeing in the room once it goes through this machine and onto film or onto digital is going to look and how it's going to be changed and altered by all the different filters and processes that it goes through before you sit and watch it. The biggest, biggest key is lighting. And... Mm -hmm. It's and it's the least sexy, longest drawn out part of the gig. And when a cinematographer is getting praised, you know it, that's that's the unsung part of it. Whether it's even if you're outside in natural light, it's understanding how that light, how that light affects continuity, how that light affects mm-hmm. everything. It's extremely important part of the cinematography process, and that's why it takes an bunch of gaffers department and a grips department and this whole group of people to get all this stuff set up and and 
rigged and pointed in the right direction and set to the right levels, man. And if you're yep. if you're one of those crazy, you know, uh, cinematographers from like the old Italian opera days, like Vittorio Storaro, you literally like in a theater, you use dimmers to change the light within the scene. That is balls out craziness because that's bold because you can't change it. Mm -hmm. And because the lighting being off can ruin a whole scene and God forbid you trip over a cord when you're trying to adjust the light slightly to make the scene better. And Christian Bale is in your movie because you're going to get a talking to. You're mm -hmm. going to get a stern talking to. Yeah. And, and Mick G will not save you. He will not help you at all. He will just um, won't help. I, he, I was, he, he might even make things worse. <laughs> Sorry correct. To say. That's correct. Hard to say. Um, when you see when you see in the credits, uh, uh, you know, stand in for Mr. McGregor and stand in for Mr. Neeson and yeah. uh, Miss Portman. Um, <laughs> yeah. They're mostly they're mostly on the lighting people's schedule. Right. They're technically part of the, you know, uh, of the production team and, and they, you know, will fall under you know casting and things like that yep. but um they, they primarily live on a lighter like the lighting schedule yeah when when liam i guess liam neeson's a bad accent but natalie portman's yeah. a good example when she's off in her trailer making sure her accent is right and working on everything and getting memorized for the new pages that she got yesterday um she, she can't just be standing there for the lighting people to, you know, whatever. So they literally do somebody up in, if not her costume, some facsimile of it, same kind of makeup or whatever they, they often find. They don't find doubles exactly, but they find somebody who can truly stand in for them physically. Yep. And, and then they move their lighting around and your big stars don't have to deal with that. Your minor cast members who don't have stand-ins or doubles uh, probably do. So I, it can I will, be it can be long afternoons for those folks. I I will say that, that it's in the movie Love Actually, Martin Freeman, and I don't remember the actress's name. Um, that that's actually a great little through through line that appear. You know, they're they're stand-ins um, for actors who are supposed to be doing a, um, a a like a sex scene, and so they're just they're just like miming things and just kind of have to do it. Oh, you know. In, in front, well, while people are walking around and moving them and moving lights and all this stuff, <laughs> and they're just having a conversation, and eventually they go out on a date afterwards, even though they've been and you know been sitting there pretending to have sex all day. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's good. It's fun. Um, all right, it's fun. So, Love Actually. Um, I don't really like Love Actually, but it that's uh, and, from yeah. a writer who has just learned what movie making really is. And and that's in that script in a really really fun way because it mm -hmm. because they don't always know. Um, David Lynch too talks about that. Like he doesn't he finds it all he's so romantic he finds it, it all magical and kind of can't believe what actors and stuff go through because even though he's acted in his own stuff he's not really an actor and knows right. that he doesn't really get it. It's fun. It, that's that's a great example of a movie yeah. everyone's seen that has a true stand-in experience in the middle of it that's very groovy yep yeah um all right next up is next category is uh editing and for this i have a hot take let's get some hot takes 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 yeah yippers um all right editing this is where comedy 
This is where a comedy can truly die. Bad editing kills comedy. That's my hot take. That's your hot take? Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Bad editing kills everything. Um, Joel sure. just mentioned about how directors like to work with the same people over and over again. That's true for all of these categories. I mean, when you fought, when you do enough movies and you find people you get along with, you find people, like he said, that have, have a shared vision. It, you don't really want to let those people go. Sometimes you have to. People who are awesome at stuff get busy and you don't always have your first choice unless you're Steven Spielberg. You never quite got that out, but that's who uses Janice yeah, Kaminsky yeah, yeah, over and over again. Yeah. Um, but I was what, about to say it and then I'm like, oh my God, I could be completely wrong here. No, no, like, you're like, right. Oh my God. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. That they've, I mean, I believe they've done every movie exclusively together since a couple beforehand, but since Amistad, I think it's only been Kaminsky. So they, they yeah. obviously have a great thing going. Um, and he shot Schindler's List, which I think was the first movie they did together. What a humdinger of a first film. And yep. And there's one other crappy Jurassic Park sequel in there that Dean Coonty shot, but otherwise it's been Janice the whole time. But more importantly, since 1941, his, or maybe it's even, I'd have to look, maybe it's even Close Encounters. Either way, since the late 70s, 1980-ish, he's only had one editor, which is Michael Kahn. Editing... Finding an editor that you trust is the big, I think for a director is the biggest thing. And let's talk a little, since an editing is such an isolated thing where there isn't an army of people like the camera and electrics departments, um, there's people because it takes a lot to edit a big film when you get tons and tons of footage and stuff. So there's assistant editors and things like that, but it's, it's, you don't, you're not often on set. Sometimes you're not even in the same country. <laughs> you're just kind no. of in a dark room putting the stuff together and when we think of great editing we think of what scenes are kept what scenes are gotten rid of what you know how think like transitions between scenes we think of like with all these departments we think of the showy stuff that we can see obviously on film but what editing really is and what the real magic of it is and why directors really 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 want people they trust and know and are on the same page with artistically is it's just picking which bits to use and picking which footage during any given scene is think of that scene of two people talking across a desk they're never in frame together so you're choosing which one you're looking at when what's being said and you're choosing which performances best sort of meld together and it i can't stress enough and on a regular hollywood film just a normal one the you, the amount of choices that you have or it's massive. You've got you're looking at a ton, a ton of footage of all the same stuff, and you've got to have a mind that sees the differences and chooses things. Not always chooses the best or most exciting thing, but chooses things that best tell the story. And being tempered in your decision making, and being wise in in what you choose and when. And often, sometimes a director is involved in this, but they just it's too big a job. For them to be able to make every decision about this, your editor is hugely responsible for what you see and what film you see. And it isn't just which scenes get kept and which get rid of, although that's 
that's part of it. That's the part of it we can all relate to because it's the part of it we could all do. Hey, it doesn't mm -hmm. really need this scene. It's the part that Weinstein did for years. All he knew how to do, because he was such an artistic, inept buffoon, was to look at something and say, get rid of that, get rid of this, get rid of that, get rid of this. And that's all he did do for years, and it's why, and, and his lack of artistic reasons behind that are why directors, all but a couple, hated working with him and pretty much only did one movie with that studio for years. Right. That's leaving the other problems with him at the door, but it, they called him uh, Harvey Scissorhands because he just chopped up your film for no reason other than, other than ego, really, because that's all he was capable of doing. And he just wanted to put his controlling stamp of ownership on every damn thing he distributed. Even if he bought the films, which is mostly how they got movies, if they bought finished films at festivals or distributed foreign movies, you just cut them up, cut them up. Cut mm -hmm. up an already edited and already thought through thing. Um, right. That is that is part of it. It's just a tiny, tiny, tiny little last final part of it. Um Maybe Joel has something to say about editing too, but I, I just I think editing's an just an incredible thing that is and back yeah. in the days where you were physically doing it, I can't even imagine. Ooh. At least yeah. these days it's primarily cerebral and you've got these quick tools in which you can kind of move things around and stuff. Back in the days of cutting the tape, cutting the negative, I just just I, unfathomable I love to me. I love editing. I taught myself editing during the pandemic. Um, I, you I edit do, for a living now. I do. A, I have a side job as an editor. Uh, whether you know it's and, and then I'm I'm producing a benefit right now that I'm I'm serving as everything. I have all the hats on. Um, but my favorite part is sitting here um, watching all of the different footage that I have made and trying to figure out which takes I'm going to use and which uh you know which angles i'm gonna capture and and uh, or which angles i'm gonna use to you know meld things together and the timing of a how, how everything works um i love it i love it it's really super fun and and frankly i mean thank god we're doing you know this is all being you know we have these two like ryan said we have these tools now we have all it's all digital and so it, it does allow you know schmoes like me to be able to you know, figure it out and go, Oh, I can make, I can make this. I can do something that has a little bit of, it's not just one single shot with my camera going, mm, okay, hi, this is me. Um, I can make it look a little bit, you know, little or bit the more, old, uh, a little bit, the old Brian De Palma split screen, like on the, like on the movie show here with that. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, um, but uh, so that we, you know, we do that. And of course, um, and a lot of directors, uh, serve as their own editors, even, you know, physically doing it. Um, we, of course, have, you know, the the uh, Academy Award, um, I believe, I think he's won uh, for editing, Roderick Janes, um, who is a fictional character uh, created by the Coen brothers. He doesn't actually exist, but they just thought they'd come up with an editor. Right. Editor name. So just to that's a law. That's a thing. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh edits his own movies too, and he has a, a non diplume for a lot of different departments that he does himself. Um, mm -hmm. Because he says, and the Coens are aware of this, that the more the more you see your name across uh, opening credit sequence, the less value it has each time. Correct. So he wants to do the work. He got he got a team of people doing it with him, which you know certainly get their credit. But if he's the head editor, which he is. He kind of comes up with somebody, 
and it's neat. They mm-hmm. are always uh, with Soderbergh. They're always they always reflect diversity, which is asinine. But I, it's still a way to uh, if you're gonna be if you're gonna cast a role, why not go for it? <laughs> it's like a good yep. way to do it. Um. All right. Next category. Yeah. Here we go. It's another. Uh, what do you do? I'm not gonna play the whole thing. What do you do? All right. What do you do? I don't know. If you're if yeah, I don't know. If you're um, I don't know. This one. Uh, if you are the person who uh, is in charge of anything an actor holds in their hands, who are you? What do you do? The props person. What do you do? You are the prop master. Woo! Yeah, the you are master, the prop master. That's right. The prop master. Um, nice. And if you are the person who is in charge of uh, essentially everything that the camera is pointed at if you are in charge of anything that is not a living breathing uh person um and sometimes that would you know probably includes living breathing people but if you are uh who is if you are in charge of everything that camera is pointed at that is going to be captured in that lens what do you do uh you're the art director Correct. So we are production design and art direction. Um, yeah, lots of people in this one. Well, and not just the production design people who design the thing, sketch it out, plan it out. Um, you know, that's a thing that's different, too. You can be a production designer even if you're shooting almost entirely on location. Back in the old days, they didn't really credit one. They credited an art director or a set dresser with right. making real-life places come alive but a production designer in a modern sense has a has a kind of has a role in setting up like joel says everything that you're about to see and why it is why it looks the way it is why it's what color it is all those sorts of things and obviously if you're designing the thing you have to work with all the other departments working with the lighting working with you know the costuming makeup all of it it's all it all has to meld together, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in something like Black Panther, the production designer, you're literally creating the world from scratch. All, virtually nothing you're seeing in that movie is a thing that exists, even at all. Like, even on... There's some sets in that, but even mo- most of the sets are virtual. Most of the locations are virtual mm-hmm. so everything is created and the inspiration and, and in a way that's a liberating wonderful thing but in a way it's also like how do we ground this in if not a, a reality reality a cinematic reality that people can buy into so that they'll be moved and excited and stimulated in the way that they're supposed to be that's yeah. a big big job and going back to the days where you didn't have all those virtual responsibilities or you couldn't make virtual sets look very convincing you know if you were asked to make something like you know create something like krypton or los angeles you know 2019 you 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 had to design it and build it on a budget and that was an incredible accomplishment as well so Production design, art direction, set dressing, uh, all the painters, all the builders, all the people who budget all the materials. Like it's a big, mm-hmm. big task, and it is absolutely an important part of what the thing is visually. And it's it's 
that's one of those things uh, on Blade Runner when when Ridley Scott met his art director, he came up to him and introduced himself because they'd never worked together. And he said, hey, I, I'm whatever. And he goes, oh, good to meet you. What are you doing? And he's like, I'm the art director for the film. And he goes, oh, geez, mate, I'm sorry. Because <laughs> that guy was put through absolute hell making that movie because the art direction yeah. – was micromanaged by the guy in charge within an inch of his life. And it was the densest, deepest, real, physically filmed thing that I think you can find on film, actually. Yeah. So, so that guy's life was hell. But look what they accomplished, you know. Right. And, 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 how, and how magic the art direction is a part of that stuff bit of storytelling is incredible being ridley scott's art director is tough and on every film but in that one where you're creating every from scratch signages warning labels just literally every damn thing that you see on screen is real but it's been created out of the imagination yeah. it's yep it's st stunning stunning stuff. it's yeah it is that is uh, uh that's i'm incredible. so far because i can't even draw like a person Correct. I, I feel the same way. That is, that's, you know, yeah, to be able to not just dream up this stuff, but then to uh, execute it. To I can imagine it, but to communicate it to an army of people who have Correct. to do it. That's that's the key word, that to be able to communicate it. Yeah. To communicate um, it right. visually and audibly so that people get it and so that you're mm -hmm. all doing the right thing. And to be free enough to collaborate on your vision. It's a, It's an amazing thing. Yeah. Um, all right. Next up is uh, it, it is a category that is near and dear to my heart, and that is casting. Um, I am fortunate enough to be married to one of the finest casting directors uh, for stage work in the country. Um, she and I, I do not say that hyperbolically. She no. is. Um, it, it can't and, be overstated. Uh, what a what a what a. Uh, just what you said. Sorry. I just, yeah. yeah, I get, I start to get gushing and I trip over myself. Um, Joel's wife, Jen, who we were all friends when we were kids. I mean, she is, she's one of the most important casting directors in theater in the country. That's no lie. Yeah. She travels all over. Everybody, everybody wants to get the job that she's got the opportunity in her hand and mm -hmm. picking the right people picking the right personalities uh, just and making, making it casting, making it match what people think it's going to be. And yet to be brave right. enough to do, to be willing to do something different with something when somebody does something that inspires you being willing to cap, to, to capture that magic mm -hmm. and then bring it back to the production. I mean, it's, it's it, again, mm -hmm. we all sit around and talk about the cast and we all think we, uh, that's our favorite articles. Who would be the people who are going to be the new X-Men or whatever. We can mm -hmm. do that part of it. Although I don't know that how great we do it based on some of the articles that I read. Right. Um, yeah. Everybody with a limited, they, with yeah. a finite amount of celebrities and these big films, like it's not hard to say, Oh, so-and-so would be good at this. It, right. There's look at everybody that you see in the film though. You know, mm -hmm. it's a director um, can say, Hey, I want Bobby De Niro to star in my movie. And the casting director's got to make that work. Uh, but they got to cast the guy who drives the cab. They got to cast all these people that a director is not necessarily concerned with. And, and mm -hmm. 
it's the human resources department of the of the of the artistic world and it's incredibly complex mm -hmm. and 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 most you know most of the time they're not actually the ones picking people for the jobs no. um they're again, delivering that, options but right but you got to put the right people in the room um and you know so when when you're you know you're if you obviously if you're casting a principal role, you know they say, "Oh, I want you know." A lot of casting notices will say, "Like uh, looking for a Robert De Niro type, looking for a Jennifer Aniston type, looking for a you know a Natalie Portman type," and so it's the um, it's the casting director's job to find people who have that that capture that same sort of energy, that same sort of maybe gravitas or that same skill level that same you know and and also to think outside the box and say okay they want a natalie portman type but what if it was a person who uh is of a different nationality than natalie portman but still has that captures that quality that's how you can you know that's how having um you know being being conscious of of what the whole company looks like the whole the whole acting company for lack of a better we'll just you know a movie's acting company mm -hmm. <clears throat> what that looks like and and who gets put in front of the director and sometimes that that's a bold move from a casting director to say um you know you want a natalie portman type here's somebody who i believe is a natalie portman type but um certainly doesn't look like natalie portman um, you know, and, and putting that in front of a, a director to go, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. I see that. Um, and you know, and, and yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're that first, um, person who's going to help, you know, they're, they're a gatekeeper, whether they, you know, what for, for good or for ill, um, they, they will, they control who's a lot of times they're controlling who's getting seen for these parts and, um, yeah. And it's, it's really exciting. They put together, they, you know, they, they have to also put together the budgets, uh, for how many actors are going to be needed for something. Um, you know, and that and, changes and, every time a decision is made about one yep. or a contract is written up. Yep. And that, you know, they're the ones who they have to be in charge go, of the yeah. whole audition process to some degree as you know, oftentimes, like you say, a director, that's why we started with them. They're pretty, if they're decent at all or, or committed to their project at all, they're probably intimately connected to all this. Yeah. But what types of things you're seeing, what types of things you're reading, all this stuff is is stuff that they, you know, that all have choices that have to be made. Yeah. And look, the bigger the project, you know, that casting director is in, in some ways, you know, making some artistic decisions because that first time you go in for a film, you're go you're you're auditioning for the casting director. And the casting director will go, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I see it. You, you're going to move on. And oftentimes it's then, you you know, you're maybe auditioning for the casting director uh, once or twice. And then maybe the third time or fourth time, the director or somebody the director intimately trusts is in the room. Um, and, you know, that's where a casting director, you know, where, where you, you know, somebody might, if a casting director isn't, doing their you know doing their job the way the director you know they're not executing the director's vision that's where they're going to go what are you putting these people in front of me for this is not this is not what we're looking for at all um 
So they got to they got to execute the director's vision, too. And then finally, you know, the director will see them and go. Yeah. And then maybe even after the director sees them, then the producers have to meet them because the producers have to sign off on it because Harvey Weinstein wanted to see who he could get up to come up to his hotel room. He's more of a Um, mogul than an actual producer. But yes, literally, those are the sorts of things that go on. No question. um, But yeah, so it's, you know, uh, uh, when we had Ana Isabel, when we were were able to talk to Ana Isabel, she, you know, she She had a great anecdote. It was more than an anecdote. It was really she walked mm-hmm. us through in a really brief and yet very detailed way that she got cast and the different steps involved. That's a fantastic mm-hmm. interview that you people should check out if you're more yeah. interested. And, in and the it's process. the you know and then you know, and then coming into the room and there's Steven Spielberg there to to sort of that talk was like to the third time she came bit. into the room, yeah. right? Or something. I mean, there's yeah. it's a process. Third or fourth, yeah. And yeah. That, yeah, and and you know, and yeah, my my and and a good casting director uh, is. It's not an antagonistic thing. Uh, that's one thing my wife uh, harps on all the time. A good casting director is trying to create a scenario for you to do your absolute best work. If a casting director is trying to challenge you and make this a hard s- situation for you, they're not doing their job properly because they're not get you know if you're not getting the best performance out of that actor, then you're putting then you're gonna put crap in front of the director um and so yeah so their job is to create the best although, environment although they just because you're being challenged doesn't necessarily mean somebody doesn't care either <laughs> yeah sorry cha- challenge isn't the right word but it, if it if they're not if they're creating distractions if it's a lot of if they're not if they're being if they're not paying attention if the casting director's like yeah go ahead give me your uh give me your audition <laughs> um yeah that you know uh you know, my, my you better believe when when you're in the room, my wife is making sure that she's watching you and um, and trying to give you honest reactions. If you're doing a comedic piece or if you're doing a dramatic piece, she is trying to give you honest to God, honest reactions as much as possible. And, and if we have to move um, on, but I'll give you another tip. Yeah. If you're in the room with Joel's wife and and you're not acting and it seems like she's not paying attention to you, I guarantee you she is. Yeah. <laughs> Remember yeah. that you're auditioning um, the second you step in there and are go in front of these people because you are. I, I I know we got to move on, but I do just want to play this and maybe maybe this will be a quick uh, question. But for this category, we're going to um, take a trip in Dr. Clock's time, Gorium Mind Scrabula. Nice. Gonna go back in time. It will go back in time. Gonna go back in time. I'm gonna step back in time and fix it. Would you go back? Is there any movie off the top of your head? that nice. you would go i know sorry that you could go back and change the casting on i know that's why that's why i said we might just move on from this question you hate questions like that's this? a great question that i'm completely not prepared for I know. um let's so let's see because i literally came up with it right before the show it's an awesome question so you get kudos for that but i don't know yes i'm sure there's a whole bunch of them yeah but- uh, you know, that, we did a whole show on on people who were almost cast in things yeah. um and, and and you know and yeah and it, we we and like you talking about we this is it's a fun thought experiment to think about okay if i'm gonna cast this book or i'm gonna cast this oh i heard that they're making this movie who would i cast in it um you know there's obviously there's the famous eric stoltz in back to the future well, of course he was where, cast in it and acted he was in cast and then they yeah, and then they realized, okay, we need to we need to get our original guy that we really wanted because it's just not quite the same. Um, 
So they went and they did that for us. They went back and changed the casting. Um, uh, there's so, one, uh, but I'm not remembering who it is, but there's one that we talked about in that alternate casting show where like it was, it was going to be this. And we were like, oh yeah, that would have mm -hmm. been so great. You know, there's yeah. a whole bunch of them in there where you're like, where when you talk about people who kind of went down a rough path and, and when you hear, you know, what somebody's first choice was, there's just as many, if not more stories though, without getting specific that where they didn't get who they wanted. And as a result, they got exactly the right person. There's a, right. there, if you listen to Spielberg, since we've been talking about him, if you listen to him trying to cast John Wayne and trying to cast Steve McQueen and trying to cast all these huge, huge stars of the day that he worshiped and that he ended up getting Roy Scheider and, and, you know, and Richard yeah. Dreyfus and these different people and these different roles that weren't, they were pretty big movie stars, but they weren't the big superstars that he originally dreamed up. And almost every mm -hmm. time you end up with something more specific, more unique, and more true, because, because you were the one that contributed to them making their star performances instead of trying to use the established star to create something specific for yourself and i think that's neat and one last thing on casting just because it's a fun anecdote maybe everyone's heard this by now but kihai kwan who uh when he was on the three thousand plus elementary school asian elementary school students asian americans who were coming out to star in uh, indiana jones and the temple of doom or or uh raiders of the lost ark 2 as it was called at the time <laughs> um <laughs> That would have been interesting. That uh, he very famously, and a lot of people get cast this way. He didn't show up to auditions. He showed up to help his brother, who was shy, who really wanted to do this, but didn't quite have it in him. And the re reason he got the casting director's attention was because he kept directing his brother and everything and telling him what to do, what was right, what was wrong, no more like this, more like that. And they just were taken with his personality and that's how he jumped off the page to them. It's just something about him not even trying to make an impression on them. Yep. Um, and the, of course the other favorite casting one is when they, when they were shooting aliens in England, they had to interview every English union actor who wanted a role in aliens before they could say, no, we're going with a Canadian or an American, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And they had yeah. to cast, and when the, and when an English person showed up that was awesome, they had to find a way to get him in there, which they did in several cases. Um, but that the casting of the little girl, casting of Carrie Henn, all those British kids, even if they did the accent right or whatever, they were so used to doing commercials and TV performances that they just were smiling the whole time, and she was the only right. kid that was could be appropriately morose, or could do could tell the story with doing very very little, which is something kids have real really struggle with. And right. they said it's 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 you know you say well there could have been twenty different Lois Lanes you know it could have been Stalker Channing it could have been Ann Archer and it would have still been awesome. Um, right. In this case, they looked at hundreds and hundreds of people, and it's it only could have been her. They just thanked their lucky stars that somebody came along that was the yeah. thing they wanted. It's Yep. Kind of amazing. All right. Next category. Uh, next category. We got to step these categories up yep. now. So here we go. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it'll be, we'll be able to do it. Costumes, hair, and makeup. Uh, and for this, I got a hot take. Woo! Let's get some hot takes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> hot take. 
um, on, on, on costumes, hair and makeup. This is actually where most actors find their characters. Yeah. That's, that's my hot take. Well, I and mean, I that's pretty accurate. I'm not a costumey actor. I, my, my, I find my character between my ears basically. So I don't can't exactly relate to this, but it's absolutely mm-hmm. true. And a, a really good costumer will work, especially if they have one at their disposal, won't just lay out the stuff for the actor on the first day of shooting. They will work with them to create the character with them. Um, Mm -hmm. that's of course higher up in the cast list where those sorts of things happen. Costumers also have to costume a hundred people for the ball scene in the night in 1782 or whatever. I mean, that's, that's kind of like, shut up. You're in the movie. If you fit in the dress, basically you're, you're casting the dress, not the person. Sure. Um, Yeah, there's that. So there's, that's all the way down on the other end, but it is a monumental task and it is a huge part of becoming somebody if you're in a superhero costume or you're in a period costume or you're in a military suit or if you're even a modern day gangster who has a certain sense of style putting that stuff on um most actors i think the vast majority of them will tell you that that's where it happens it's where i first see that character and seeing it's believing it and whatever work i've done cerebrally or spiritually it all comes to life there because no matter how you swing it, no matter how, you know what I mean? Uh, method you want to be or how emotionally honest you want to be or how, whatever your process Mm -hmm. is, it's how you look and how you sound are the things that are what we're going to experience and the costume, hair, makeup, all of it. It's not just, Oh, you know, the best makeup ever was Tim Curry and legend or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's amazing, but that's, that's, that's that's special, but it's not yeah, always like special that. Special effects it's, makeup, yeah, exactly. It's w- making yourself look the way the character is. The you know, um, making a character look tired. You know, I saw a movie. I wish I could remember what it was. Where it was a TV show actually, where the so, actor was standing there and they said, "Man, you look really tired." And she did, except she didn't. It wasn't this put on. It was kind of amazing. I wish I could remember what it mm-hmm. was. I can't remember. Um, we we have uh, we have some tremendous makeup artists. Uh, uh, one of the first people I, I I met when I moved to the back to the Twin Cities, um, the tremendous uh, makeup art hair and makeup artist um, Chris Ballas, who uh, for a long time was Arnold Schwarzenegger's personal uh, makeup artist. Uh, did he did all the makeup for like Mister Freeze on Batman and Robin and stuff? Mister um, Freeze. Yeah, but. Um, but he, yeah, like, uh, and he, uh, I, I've done a few projects with him. I did a few projects with him where it was just basic makeup, you know, cover my blemishes, make me just look like a normal person. Other times he, you know, he made me look, he, for some short films, he had to make me look like a strung out druggie, uh, you know, who hadn't slept in four days and who was super hyper and manic and stuff. And, and yeah, and uh, well- it was and then the next day, make it look like I had a beard. Um, and also then later on, just make me look like a normal person. So he, uh, you know, so yeah. And and the, famously like Gielgud, John Gielgud would always need the prop first. He always would, you know, one of the first things he did, he, he was a very much, I'm going to build the character from the outside in. And then of course with Stanislavski and, and Method and all these other things, that's when the character started to be built from the inside out. Um, but yeah, once you get that costume or once that, you know, that you, you see your costume plot, 
Um, or once somebody says, here's the prop I was thinking of for this thing that you have to have in this thing, um, suddenly you're, it, it, it absolutely, you're like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, you yeah, were just in yeah, a period you piece, you know, what Vans will remember the mutton chop era of the movie show with Joel and Ryan. True. Um, they'll never forget it, I'm sure. But the, no, it was, yeah. Well, you, it was a very intimate space, and I, I think I watched the show, and everybody in it kind of made a decision about their what they were going to do, and they did it for real, because I think any yeah. sort of uh, applications or things, you just would have even done well, I think you would have noticed in there, because it, it really felt like you guys were doing the show in our laps, essentially. Um, but it, you could tell, I mean, it's not, and as an actor, you, you, you're going to do this work, especially you, you're a very physical actor. You know, the guy's going to have a way he stands and walks and a way he sort of poses when he's not moving. Mm -hmm. But you can't, you can't tell me that when you first put that suit on that it didn't, whatever you were doing, it didn't completely crystallize in that moment, that that was the moment that it happened. You can really feel for me for that role. For that role, it was the hat and the vest. <laughs> Once I put the vest on, yeah, and and they gave me the hat that I was gonna wear. I'm like, oh, I know exactly who this guy is. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. I, I got him. Yeah, yeah. And I got him. So it's neat to see that come to life. Um, all right. Eyes. Next up, next up is uh, another. Who am I? Who am I? Okay, so this is um, the part of uh, the sh- of the movie. Uh, this this person um, will often execute m- the more dangerous stuff that is happening uh, if, a, if a performer has to do some sort of fight or things. And they will also often solve crimes on the side um, with a coterie of people uh, to uh, uh, and utilizing their their physical abilities to um, to solve crime in the 80s. Who am I? You are the stunt person slash stunt coordinator. Correct. Woo. I wish I had the fall guy theme that I could play right now. Bam. Uh, Bam. Um, Bam. But yeah, the, the, the stunt people and the extras. Um, yeah. We kind of put them together. It's not exactly the same, but extra, but it, we trying to combine these categories. So we only yeah, have yeah, a, a digestible yeah. 10. So forgive me if it Correct. doesn't always fit. Uh, but these are related in a way. I mean, these really are, they're cast members. They're in front of the camera, people who are not people that are acting a story in a, in a conventional way, the way your principal cast and, and, and featured people are, um, Mm -hmm. extras have to, I mean, we've seen it. Sometimes you get a brilliant extra. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you do, and they're doing way too much, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. And like in Ghostbusters, the hey Ghostbusters, yeah, guy, that redheaded guy who was actually an assistant makeup artist for a living. Yeah, that's fun, great, cool, dude. Yep. You're the best extra, pretty much of all time, because you're the most demonstrative one we've ever seen. But mostly extras gotta do the gig. They gotta be into the moment, just like an actor. But they gotta not be drawing focus from what the audience is supposed to be paying attention to and that sounds like it wouldn't be that hard but it is really hard even a good extra who knows the gig it's just hard not to to be doing your job and not pulling focus and it's hard Mm -hmm. to be sitting at another table with no lines eating and talking to somebody and sit there and do that for hours and hours and hours and not look like you're faking it it's it's a 
it's a it's an incredibly hard job. And then stunts, of course, you that we understand, I think, a little bit more on the surface what that is, being a, a stunt double or being a stunt driver, um, putting yourself in harm's way for Hollywood magic. I mean that we've romanticized that because that's that's such a yeah. that's such an out there amazing thing and 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 yeah. It's a um, skill yeah, I mean, where it, when the actors even do it a little bit, like because Harrison Ford was acting, you well, you did your own stunts and that. He's like, no, no, I didn't do my own stunts. I I did some hitting and falling, and you know, I that's mm-hmm. not <laughs> that's not what a stunt is. A stunt yeah. is you know hanging off of the back of an airplane and and it, and yeah. just and doing combat things that while they look fairly conventional are extremely can be extremely dangerous if not perfectly controlled and that's another thing yep. that a stunt person's pretty awesome um, at. well yeah i mean if you want i mean tom cruise has made a you know he's manufactured uh this personality trait of doing his bit by you know of doing his own stunts forever um you know but especially lately as the the stunts have gotten more elaborate and it's you know hats off to tom cruise he's it's they're not faking it he really is on that motorcycle he really did jump out of that plane for three weeks to get that sequence on film like it's he really does do his own stunts in a way that i think harrison was saying we don't do our own stunts right and of course um you know there's there's the famous uh the famous um scene where uh uh, the, the 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 heroes all are being chased by the villains and they jump through these closing doors and they are thought they're going to be, you know, and then the people thought they captured them and realized you've captured their stunt doubles. Hashtag space balls. Um, all right. Always let's move on. Hashtag. Yep. Let's move on to uh, this is I, I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do for this one, but this is a who am I? Who am I? Um, they're the people who can manipulate your emotions um, in in a scene. They can help direct you uh, in and how you are supposed to feel about what's going on on the screen um, with no words at all. Who am I? You're a composer or a music department person. Correct. You're the sound and music. Yeah, sound. Of course, sound and music is related, but they're not really related. They're two distinct departments. We'll start right. with sound, because again, it's. I just don't think people have any concept of how complex putting a soundscape for a, a movie together is, even a simple movie. And then when you get into a big, complicated one, um, everything you're hearing in a film, everything you're hearing in an Iron Man two is just been created out of nothing, out of from mm-hmm. scratch of these things and it's been put in there and you don't hear really much of anything because if you heard what was happening on the set and I wish there were more examples of this I really wish like like it'd be a great example there's that stupid scene in Iron Man 2 where he crashes his own party and starts shooting stuff and acting like an asshole um I would love to hear just what was captured on set in that scene because I believe that it would sound so stupid and awful yeah yeah because that the plastic suit clanking around and stuff and all this stuff like it's it and it's so it's not only a testament to the sound people who filled that with a believable soundscape in a fantastical situation in a very real environment with a ton of people but but the actors who knew what it really sounded like and were still playing the reality of that situation like that's yeah yeah 
it, it's it's it really is where the magic happens it, it, without great sound uh i i don't know what you have you know i well, i don't sure. really I mean you don't have much anything it's i mean like fa famously this ha like there's story after story after story of like but i just i mean i just recently saw like uh hayden christensen and ewan mcgregor would uh constantly be getting uh in well in trouble but like anytime they were doing a fight scene they were going like while they're while they're fighting they're making the lightsaber noise and they're kind of like guys you can't be making those noise noises we're, we're picking that up we're you know we got, we'll put that in later you gotta not you gotta not make the noises it's and hard. Um, it's hard not to yeah, make the noises because because the, the because without them case, what is it it ain't much correct Correct. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then music, so, uh, we, we can, and not to skip my favorite film department, because I love the music. I love composers. I love the music coordinators, you know, the people who kind of decide what songs are here and there and who decide what edits go in and things like that. We just watched, uh, uh, last week you heard us talk about Blinded by the Light, which is an, it has an yeah. ex extremely important and iconic music coordinator project it has a pretty decent score hidden in there too but that's mm -hmm. not nearly as important in that movie as what songs are played um what parts are used uh how it's how it's integrated into the mix of the film i mean that that's a big big job as well uh mm -hmm. we often think of the composers as the maestro you know sitting at the piano which which is what it is that is music composing but but it's it's that's that's a small part of it. There's all the members mm -hmm. of the orchestra too, who still to this day are not credited on films, which I think I think if we can credit eight trillion you know effects animators, we can get the first violin section like in the credits. I've always right. believed that's something where it's just a couple seconds on screen. I mean, what's a couple more seconds? It's not a big deal. You put the whole orchestra there. You should. Right. You should. The guy who plays the oboe solo in. Uh, the mission, like that dude's not not important part of that movie. He's really right. important. So, yeah. you know, so I just I I've always said that's I'm a little way to end this section is I get them all up yeah. there, man. It's look, Nicholas Cage wasn't playing Captain Corelli's mandolin. Someone was was playing that mandolin, and Nick was faking it, and that guy should be credited. I believe I Nick Cage know. was playing the mandolin and Captain Corelli's mandolin. I think that was a bad example, but it's a good point, Joel. Good job. Really? He played the mandolin? I think it was one of those, you know, you go into the trivia section, it's like Nicholas Cage spent nine months play, learning how to perfectly play the mandolin or whatever. Sure. You know what? That, that actually tracks. <laughs> that, you know, I could be wrong, like but that. I believe that's a case of that particular uh, totally. type of thing. All right. Uh, for our next category, we're going to um, also hop back in Dr. Clock's uh, time, gory, time, time scrabula, my gory, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> gonna go back in time. You would go back in time. Gonna go back in time. I gonna step back in time and fix it. What movie from the past again this is uh, you're not going to be able to answer this you're going to hate me for it what mo what movie from the past i noticed that you're very distinctively not starting these questions with name a movie that yeah there's still uh, name what, a movie it, that questions you know yeah um but uh <laughs> a movie from the past that you think would benefit from modern effect special effect abilities 
We are in the visual effects, opticals, and processing category. Um, who do you, is there one that you're like, yeah, man, if they had the modern uh, effect, you know, digital effect technology that, you know, that might've been, might've been spectacular. I almost never think that I almost always think the opposite. You know what I mean? I, I, I watched, agree. I watched yeah. Wonder Woman last night and there's this, you know, when, uh, when Steve Trevor's uh, hijacked plane crashes, she does this thing where she jumps off the cliff and you see this digital, her like go down like not yeah, yeah. Her, her jumping is her her appearing out of the water is her but the in between the person going off the cliff is this effect and it's it's not a bad effect but it's an obvious effect and i'm just like couldn't somebody just do a quick cliff dive in costume or whatever and well, why 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 is this the thing that you're faking this is so easy to yeah. this is something you can actually do and i i suppose it's so that the cliff is higher and so that it's just more amazing but it doesn't make it look more amazing it makes it look stupid um, which is too bad. So I find mm -hmm. myself thinking that more often, but I mean, I think the things that could be enhanced, you know, like, uh, last days of Pompeii to go all the way back to 1941 or whatever, sure. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, the big disaster movies of old that do a really good job with the stunts and with the fake boulders falling on people and stuff. Me and friend of the show, Rob Dunkelberger, got together last night and we watched a telekinesis double feature. This wasn't last night. It was a few nights ago, but I always say last night. Sorry. Uh, when I mean... What is time? When I mean back yeah. in 1996. You know, I don't know why I do that. I do. <laughs> uh, we, recently, we got together to watch this telekinesis feature. And one of the movies was uh, The Medusa Touch with Richard Burton and Lee Remick. And, uh, and it has a pretty gonzo ending where I won't give away exactly what happens, but it just, it has a big, has a, it's a small movie about little things and little murders and little mystery things. And it just has this great big ending. If you've ever seen it, think of the ending to Mothman prophecies where it's a small sort of psychological thriller that has a giant Hollywood ending at the end of it that mm -hmm. you're just, that the movie just doesn't prepare you for and it was a lot of it looked fake and but it uh, but because it was people and because it was stuff in camera it just worked better and was very impactful and he he and i both during that sequence like just kind of jumped and squirmed a little bit at it and i don't think he would have if it had been fake even though think of what more you could do if it you know but i don't know that in yeah. some of these cases i don't know that more is better so so typically things Fair don't enough. come to mind, but there's, there's an answer. There's at least an answer yeah. to your question that has some Fair substance. Enough. Uh, my, my answer to that, of course, is Night of the Lepus. But let's um, talk about... Uh, Would be some better? Of, other... of course, you don't mean that. Lo um, Night of the I... Lepus without the dogs in rabbit suits is just another... It would be a horrible movie. Night of the Lepus without the miniature storefront set that the actual rabbits crash into. Yep. <laughs> you want to replace get, that get, with get, digital rabbits? I, I do. You, I want to monster. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like all of that takes away um, from some of the stellar work that DeForest Kelly is doing. So, um, uh, but uh, the opticals, the processing, the visual effects, um, obviously huge part of the modern uh, oh, yeah. movie industry uh, yeah. today. Um, and I think we can just kind of move on from that. I think your answer to it 
answer to that question actually kind of perfectly described so much of what goes on in the well and they do so much of what we don't notice and don't see and don't care about and of course Mm -hmm. that's the best stuff the stuff that you don't know is in effect the virtual environments and the enhanced environments and stuff i mean it takes an army of people to animate that stuff to make it look real one frame at a time we're not really working with frames anymore but it it's still Mm -hmm. anytime the camera's moving man you're you're got to be moving with it in your virtual environments and some of them are fantastical but some of them are absolutely believable and you, you just didn't even know they were there it's yep it there it's not well, a small and, job or an unimportant one i don't want to besmirch it just because i like practical effects and it's really i mean I, uh, real quick on this i i'm really fascinated in watching um the the light and magic documentary on disney plus about industrial light and magic and one of the you know one of the things that ilm is is doing now especially with like uh the mandalorian and book of boba fett and stuff like that they have this the giant um um studio the 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 sound stage has like these giant digital screens on it so they're able to project they're able to like project the environment on these screens and and so instead of creating them after the fact, after they get the principal photography, they're actually capturing them in the principal photography. And so it's like, and it gives the actors something to sort, you know, an environment sure. to work with. It's 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 kind of come almost back around to to the, the late sixties when they were putting plates on set and actually shooting them and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of, yeah. And that's cir- that circling back to the special effects are kind of coming back more to, or not more to, but they're like combining with practical effects in a new, uh, in a new way. And I think that's, that's really cool and exciting. Um, all right. Last category. Who am I? You are the person that, um, gets the actors to and from the set and often has to serve as therapist on um, getting psyched up for the day or coming down at the end of the day. Who am I? Who am I? I am the transportation coordinator. You are transportation. Um, uh, yeah, underrated. Uh, well, and these are also well, this whole so this... production management category is yeah. We're and and they're used to this. We're gonna blow right through it, <laughs> and, and they're last on the list. But you know what? Uh, there's a certain pride that comes from that. I think for them, yep. but there it's what do you eat? How do you get there? What what? There's location management too. Who's gonna who puts up the the you know the the barriers and stuff and who does mm-hmm. all the work on set before anyone even gets there so that it's a safe, you know, work yep. place. Um, it, there's so and, much that goes into location and management, person, and production management. Yeah. And the, when they're like going uh, and when the director goes, where the hell is Joel? The person who has to go find Joel <laughs> is the, is the PA, the production assistant, or, you know, one of many, mm-hmm. they're like, I'll find them. And they go to where I'm, I've wandered off to or whatever, or I'm in makeup or trying to make someone add more hair um, or whatever. Uh, we so, talked yeah, about the we, nebulous role of a producer and we sort of skipped right over them, but these guys do the production management and post-production supervisors. That's the two that's that's producing film 
on mm-hmm. the ground level where you're doing all the stuff. And if you want to know if somebody's like a for real producer that came up, go click on their little credits and go see if they've got production manager credits on there. And if they do, then they know every they probably know everything there is to know about film yeah. and and making movies and stuff. And that's how they get into production. Sometimes you just some rich guy or some creative person who's clever or you just you know whatever mm-hmm. I, all produce i think to become a movie producer you gotta be almost all of them are like kind of hard obsessive workers but it's a production management team and you know like you say craft services caterers oh that's all part so of this. the life on the set of a movie life on a location life in the studio mm-hmm. it, it's 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 your everyday life needs that need to be served in sort of a weird way that just isn't like real life and and has to be coordinated along with all the with all the artistic concerns of the thing being the priority and it's yep. that's not easy to do for any craft, of those types of people i you know craft craft the craft service table and whoever is handling uh you know making sure the what is on the craft service table that you can just pick at during the day and what is going to be happening at mealtime and who gets fed first and who, you know, what that meal is mm-hmm. um, that can make a break a day. <laughs> you, you get a bad, you get a bad lunch uh, where people are just like, oh, I'm not feeling this. Um, that, that spills over because yep. that, that affects people's energy. Um, yeah. Catering transportation. Um, yeah. That, those are, the, and those are the people that, yeah, as a, as a performer, you're interacting a ton with them. You're that, you know, that's who you, you don't go. If you have a question about something, you don't go to the director. You go to your, per, you're probably not PAs. even allowed to get close to the director. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. You, you don't go to the director. The director comes to you when they have something they want to share with you. That's right. But if you have a question about, you know, Hey, can I go back to my trailer or can I go back to holding or whatever? Or I need to go to the bathroom. Right, you right, tell right. a PA and they will tell who they, they will, um, you know, get that to whoever needs to, um, who needs to have that information. Um, So that is our little trip behind the scenes, trying to give some love to the people who are, um, who help make movies happen. We surely left some people out, but hopefully that was fun and informative. I don't know. Joel helped a lot with this contests and stuff even though he asked me a couple of super unfair questions of which he I, yeah and i knew that was the future. case but that's all i could come up with uh, uh um uh at the spur of the moment no, they're great questions. i was really happy they're great questions okay. if answers present themselves uh, as always i'll come back to them and answer them and do we have that, a couple no, of questions here to end the show with well we do um let's uh let's ask joel and ryan um what i mean we don't have a ton of time here i don't know how much we want to get into here but let's ask joel and ryan a question i have a question who gave you the right to play god what the hell's going on out here why do i bother what is the point in doing anything how dare you what more do you want from me <laughs> I have a question. I mean, do we want to get into? Let's ask the question, and it, it'll be an ongoing thing because it's a great right, question, this is, this... and we keep not having time for it. And I... that's true. And this is a question that uh, that we had solicited questions from uh, from listeners, and this one came from uh, con- you know uh, contributor to the show, Rob. Um, can we watch? Can we still watch the films of Kevin Spacey? 
Um, what about performers being fired or let go after one allegation? Like, should not Johnny Depp have been removed from Fantastic Be the Fantastic Beast films after for one allegation, which has now been, you know, it, it's not entirely what uh, proven true of what, you know, what was he was being accused of. And then, of course, there's, you know, Mel Gibson, J.K. Rowling, Woody Allen, Roma Polanski, all of these, you know, these people who right, there's it's, problematic. It's not a... It's not a did you do a bad thing now you're you're blackballed or because there's a spectrum of stuff here obviously a spectrum yeah, yeah. of behavior it's like anything else so, but I'm following what he's saying what was the third part of this it was another interesting more content uh, no, that related was, thing the that oh was it. You, well I mean of this question yeah that was it from this well question. first thing let's just just for fun. Let's just attack the Kevin Spacey one literally because, you know, yeah, you can still watch Kevin Spacey movies. There's a bunch of really good ones out there. The other thing that's really convenient about Kevin is that he was a dick in real life. And as an actor, he was a dick. And his magic power as an actor was he brought the dickishness to every character he ever played. Even the mm -hmm. kindly alien in K-Pax is an uh -huh. asshole. Go back and what? watch it and argue with me. You can't. It, so it helps. It helps take the pressure off <laughs> that you're watching this. You know, with that guy, it's like, who didn't know this guy was a creep? I, I don't know how you could not know when it just got into everything that he ever did. Um, Even his Letterman interviews, go watch him. He's an, he's a, he could just tell he's not right. He's an asshole. That's mm -hmm. cool. Some people are. That's not a crime. Now, maybe he did some actual crimes. That is a crime. That's different. But, you know, as Joel said, it's a whole show. And it's a whole mm -hmm. spectrum of stuff where you've got to make up your own mind. No, you, or, hey, if he, what he did was beyond the pale to you, then no, you don't have to watch it. But we, we, I think the only place we have to be careful is our need to be satisfied and to scrub these things out of existence. I think if mm -hmm. you go back and watch, I mentioned it in the show, to just today, 1941, go back and watch Spielberg's 1941, the whole last act... There's this major subplot that's happening where uh, there's a woman trying to avoid being raped by a serviceman while the world's coming to an end, basically, in this crazy comedy. And that's it's played for laughs and for fun. And everybody's yep. having a good time. There's lots of behind-the-scenes stuff where the two actor and actress are enjoying themselves. Like, it's not some dramatic thing that happened. But it's so... What are you doing? Who wrote this? Even in 1979, it doesn't. It makes no sense that this thing is in a movie, and it's a, yeah, yeah. it's a disgusting, distasteful thing to be in the movie. And I still watch 1941 every once in a while because it's Spielberg. It's not good at all. It's a disaster, but it's a disaster movie that is a disaster happening before your eyes as a movie, and it, and it's so accomplished and so large in scale that it's you can't really look away from it. It's it's there's there's yeah. a magic to it whether you like it or hate it. But but should it be eliminated from existence? I mean, no. I think that's the part we need to be careful about, man. I've talked. I've, mm -hmm. We don't talk about it because we don't want to just ruin everybody's fun. But we talk about why we don't talk about John Hughes movies. And it's because they're fucking disgusting for the most part. Especially the one aimed at us when we, uh, when we were kids. They're, they're really, really gross if you break them down into what they actually are. Even the feel-good ones are kind of awful. 
And I'm like, True. I can't talk about them without feeling that way. So I don't watch them because I don't want to expose myself to that. that. At the same time, I don't want them to go away or I'm not expecting them to not be part of the conversation of all the films we grew up with. They were a big part of all that. Mm-hmm. And despite I, my resistance to them, there's still some good things in them that uh, attracted people in a really, really positive way or actually filled some people with confidence and and joy and you know there's mm-hmm. that happening too so you you it's not all one way or the other so that's right. the only that's the only thing i would say about this is yeah it's okay i don't listen to michael jackson songs anymore i don't know how you can even listen to michael jackson lyrics and not just squirm and feel terrible and dirty and i get that mm-hmm. it, ideally you separate the art from the artist so that you can enjoy all things but your mileage may vary think to thing perceived is, crime to perceive crime whatever your own sensibilities are mm-hmm. i just think we need to not as a mob be making decisions for everybody about this stuff Cor- i think correct. things things are they're time capsules in a way and songs films tv shows all of it music videos and you have to yeah. be respectful of what they were at the time and if they were controversial at the time great let's have a discussion about the controversy and let's all evolve as people let's not Let's be careful of wiping anything from the map because yeah. of our dissatisfaction with it, I guess. Is what I would yeah, say. I mean, it, it kind of, you know, like you said, it, it comes down to the individual uh, watching the piece. If you if if someone's personal transgressions, um, if you if that it means that you aren't able to follow the story or if it colors the, the the story or the performance or whatever, if it colors it too much where you can't get past it, then, then yeah, then you don't need to watch that film. Um, and, and that's the, also the kind of consideration that someone is going to make when casting this. It's why Kevin Spacey doesn't get cast anymore in anything because mm-hmm. people know that they're not going to be able to watch Kevin Spacey create a character. They're only ever going to see Kevin Spacey, um, the, you know, the, the creep and the person who has probably done these really horrible things. Um, the, it's a different, you know, but for every, you know, it's a, for every performer and every transgression and every artist, um, like you said, separating the art from the artist, it's a, it's a different bar for every individual. Is it fair? No. Um, but it is a different, it is a different bar. Um, so there isn't one uniform bar and it, and it really is what is going, you know, if, if, if you as an, uh, as a viewer can't, um, can't separate, which I, I can, there's, there's performers out there that I cannot separate right, right. the performer from the performance. And, and it's sometimes that's okay. And sometimes that's no, that's, I, I'm not, it doesn't work in the story for me because I, I, you know, I, I'm not, I, I, this person, um, I'm, I'm not seeing, I'm only seeing the celebrity or the, and that, that's whatever. a, that's a spectrum too. Yeah. It, it, you know, yeah, well that didn't work, but the rest of this worked. So it's whatever. Um, yeah. the last thing I'll say about this and we, without we getting, we're not going any further cause we're not going to get back yep. into cancel culture and things again, but I will just say in general, philosophically, whatever your affront has been, whatever poisonous relationship has been, whatever fight you got into with your famous husband or wife, that really sounds terrible. I I do believe wholeheartedly 
and want to see people come back to the light. I want to see people supported by their friends, even when they've done wrong. I don't, you know what I mean? I really, mm-hmm. I, I want us so badly as a society and where maybe we are this, but we're just not seeing it where the discourse is happening. It's possible. I hope so. But I really do want, you know, I want Amber Heard to still be able to be in Aquaman movies. I don't see why it's important that she not be based on what we know. It, it, there's a lot of weird, awful stuff, but at the same time, not enough to take someone's whole career away from them just because you don't like them anymore. It doesn't, it seems like really petty on behalf of uh, the rest of us. Uh, right. So I, I want to see that. I'm 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 happy that Matthew Fox has a TV show coming back. Good. He sorted some things out and and should be you know if he's not a danger to himself or others should be able to do his trade again. And he he's a decent enough actor that you know you watch it and you give people a second chance. Some people struggle with stuff their whole lives and it shouldn't prevent them from being part of our world. It, it all goes back to it. I just wish it was a discussion that we could have. Each thing. There's so many nuances to people who disagree with you, even if they disagree with you on the fundamentals sometimes. And I'm not always good. I'm pretty orthodox in my beliefs. And I, I, I like the song says, I radiate more heat than light when I get into issues like that. But but I know better, at least in my heart. And I know that we we're us talking to each other and working through stuff's the only way things are going to get better. It's the only way mm-hmm. it's the only way. So I, I want forgiveness. I really, really want that to be the end game. And I, yep. I don't, I think we're not, that's not where we are as a world right now. We're absolutely right. we want punishment and justice and we want it at any cost. And I think we just need to, I think punishment is important sometimes and justice I think is very very important the vast majority of the time but I do think we need to just ease off the pedal as far as our why we want those things so bad what our personal satisfaction is if that's necessarily a positive thing or not I don't know yes uh justice for satisfaction's sake um is very uh is, is that actually justice if you're just doing something, maybe, maybe it's both, maybe, but maybe, what, maybe it's both, but I can um, say that, that healing and forgiveness without justice has happened in the world. And when it happens, it's the most beautiful thing that there is. Sure. sure. <laughs> and, and that's not saying that you don't deserve your justice. Some people do, some people can't move on without it. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it's crucial but it isn't necessary every time. Sometimes we can heal without it. We just need to be open to different ideas, regardless of what the thing itself is. If right. if the whole African-American population of South Africa can move on in their lives, in their government, and in everything without tons and tons of oppressors, torturers, and murderers being thrown in jail then we can do it in our pop culture every once in a while is, is I guess what I would say. Let's just yeah. maybe try. It's a good place to leave it. Um, all right. You can reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook uh, at, at ask Joel and Ryan uh, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and the movie show with Joel and Ryan page here on YouTube. If you're watching the video feed, like, and subscribe to the podcast everywhere that you get your, um, your podcast delights. Uh, we are thrilled that you are joining us once again. 
Uh, thanks so much, everybody. That will do it for us. We got some fun shows next uh, coming up. Take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. I just call black South Africans African Americans. If I did, I'm sorry, that was done. I, you know, that I did not track that. Sometimes uh, if, you get caught up in the vacular. I think, no, my, no. I think my point still stands. That's why I'm saying was, this at the end of the show yeah. when the music runs out. I followed, yeah. Maybe I, mean, I, I didn't followed, even say that. Who knows? I or maybe know. not. I followed <laughs> everything that you were saying, though. Your point remains the same, though. My point is um, not mute because I. <laughs> right. Um, we'll give it, we'll give it one of these. Love you, everybody. It worked.